Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Uh, I'll start with a warm Collisions YYC welcome to Vis Naidu. How are you, Vis? Doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've been on a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a mission to talk to everyone I can involved in the uh, continue in the post secondary and anything to do with education in our city because I think it's so important when it comes to the tr- economic transformation that we're going through and as the rapidly changing world unfolds around us, being able to educate and retool is going to be so critical to the road ahead. Absolutely agree, and and you, you know you couldn't have said it better in terms of what is happening. Well, globally, Canada-wise, of course, Alberta and Calgary, and all the changes in education is key to that. Absolutely, and the and the pace of change that we're dealing with, I think, like, and we'll get into this. You know, uh, hey, before I before I forget, Center of you're the director of the Center of Continuing Education at SAIT, which is a school we all know well, a staple in our in our in Alberta, the backbone of the Alberta economy for many, many, many years. So it's been through many transformations, mm-hmm. but I can only you know you think of the change that's happening to any of us in any of the professions that we live in. The world of education is no different. Like COVID aside, I could only imagine the changes that your industry was going through to quote unquote keep up with what's happening out there in the world. But COVID is a whole nother, uh, you know, left hook that I'm assuming has also affected your world like in, in a, in a par- paramount fashion in the last 10 to 12 months. It, it certainly has, uh, uh, Tyler. Uh, in some ways, personally, it's affected me because I joined seven months ago. So my world has been virtual ever since joining. So I've been on campus, I think, on three occasions uh, for different things. Uh, but, you know, haven't been engaging with students. So my staff I've met primarily through uh, Teams platform. Um, so it's been a different way of being orientated, engaging and building a new center. Um, so, you know, it's affected me personally. That's so interesting when you, you think about just the, the experience of school being such a thought of, and it still is, but it's that hands-on experience. Like part of it is going there and the people you meet and the connections. And, you know, you think about someone taking on a new career or a new job, those engages, those engagements with your coworkers is where you learn that tribal knowledge and where you understand how things are done and where the, you know, where you find the staples and, you know, all those weird nuances of working in those collective groups, you know, when you think about the world of education and so much, I would say, and I will, I really want to talk about this. I think a lot of the perceived value being around the experience that you have and being maybe in continuing education, I don't know, just off the bat, would that be a little bit different because you're not dealing with necessarily individuals that are at that, I'm out of high school and now I'm going to the next level. You're dealing with more professionals or people that are furthering their careers. Is that, is that makes a different paradigm? It does to an extent, um, to an extent in that uh, it's certainly a different kind of student body that we're aiming at. Uh, so it's one that clearly, you know, wants to look at what courses can they do to help improve their career? Uh, what's the next steps in the career ladder, for example? Uh, what courses could they do to pivot to a different career? Or if they're unemployed, what can they do to move into something different? And as we know, in Calgary and in Alberta, there's been that uh, as a result of changes and developments that are happening in the in the oil and gas industries. Uh, I think yes. all of those have contributed to focusing specifically on what can we do at say to build a range of courses that help enhance careers. So we're not focusing on the kind of hobbyist side of, of continuing education, but more the career side of continuing education and professional studies. And so that's that's the focus. 
I think that's an interesting qualifier to talk about the hobby side of continuing education, the like personal betterment and learning through because you're just curious about learning. And I think that that's hugely valuable. But when you're out of work or the industry that you kind of quote unquote signed on to be part of went through a structural change, this isn't these aren't these aren't hobbies. These are these are necessities. These are these are critical moves for people. No, absolutely. And you know, we don't disencourage folks coming in to learn something. Absolutely. But we're not deliberately constructing courses in a way that appeals to the hobbyist. It's really built around what is needed in industries, the current set of industries that we have in Calgary, but also what's 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 the kind of projections that are being made with respect to ex- emerging uh, industries, uh, emerging startups and corporations, and how can we build out the skill set that's needed for that. So I think it's 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 focusing very deliberately on that kind of student that we want to attract and we want to provide a support to. Do you have statistics on your, I'm just curious, is there a kind of a profile and not, is it, is it a certain age? Like, again, when you talk about the individuals that you just spoke about that are in that transition, some because they want to, some because they have to, let's be honest, if I've been thrust upon them, is there a certain age range or is there like, do you have a profile of who that individual is when you think about the courses? That, and I know that's tough because you're constructing courses for so many yeah. different industries. Is there kind of a typical profile that you focus on? There is. And, and from an age range perspective, we're talking about your kind of 25, 26 year olds, all the way up to your 50 something. It's quite okay. a wide range. And within that, we've segmented those that will want to will want to come in, having completed some kind of first credential, whether it's a degree or a diploma, but wanting to get something specific to their field, so they would come into that. Then there's others who have got more experience and wanting to look at something a bit more advanced uh, in, in the context of what they want to study, and then being able to do that to advance a career or pivot to a new career. So we created those kinds of segmentations and we tried to gear the courses to those different segmentations. An important part of that is also you talked about the learning experience. An important part of how do we make sure that learning experience is great. So, you know, part of being on a campus and being with a learning group or a learning cohort is pretty much to build those relationships as well. So how do we do that with those different segments from an age, but also from a career level perspective? And before before COVID, the the pre COVID times, and I know you weren't at say, but obviously it's probably been a big part of your. Here's how we did things, and here's how we're going to need to do things in the future. I would assuming was there a blend of on campus, off campus, remote? I'm assuming it was quite a mix of how people learned before COVID happened. This certainly was uh, Tyler. Um, I mean, a key thing to understand is you know continuing education was present and was delivered by the schools, the, the eight schools at that point uh, within SAIT. Uh, what we've done now as part of a whole reorganization to try and address a need is bring all of the continuing education under one center. So the Center for Continuing Education Professional Studies is a new center as a centralized approach to deliver continuing education. So, so, so that kind of change meant bringing all courses from all of the different eight schools, the 651 courses. We brought that together and we now need to look at how do we deliver it. So part of delivering is the range of courses, part of delivering as well, even in, in prior to COVID and prior to the centralization, delivery took place face-to-face, a, a blended mode, although less of that, and of course, online learning. COVID, we found ourselves having been thrust much more into the online world. And so we had to do a range of pivots, including you know, making sure that the instructors are trained adequately to be able to uh, effectively teach uh, using an online platform that we use. 
But part of it is, and, and you raise this, uh, you raise this key point, is how do we make sure that the applied learning experience that you have on campus can still take place online? And, and that's the big challenge, and, you know, not just faced by us, but faced by all post-secondaries in Calgary, but also globally. And there's a number of ways in which we're looking to do that, and we can talk about that as we go along. But those are some of the kind of key, key differences between the pre-COVID and COVID times and what we were delivering and what we are delivering now, much more on the online than face-to-face. We're visiting, of course, as things improve, you know, hopefully the, uh, the uh, vaccination rollout will start to make um, uh, levels of infection or rates of infection lower. Uh, you know, we'll have more and more on campus uh, as we go along. But we certainly believe that the online uh, way of delivering is, is a key part and is going to remain a key part of what we do. It also just allows us to expand our offerings and expand our numbers through the online version as well. Well, there's definitely losses of not being able to meet in person as much as I used to do these podcasts at the most simplest level is sitting in a room and having an old fashioned chat. I still feel very fortunate that I'm able to use technology and it's different. You, you, you adapt, but I think I, I hear what you say. It's all, it's going to be a blend going forward. And you're reading some of the you know forecasts on the future of work and the, the new work week might be two or three days in the office, but it's still going to be two days at home. Like we've now proven that the blend is cap- is possible. And I think there was a lot of old beliefs of like, no, we only do it this way because that's the way it needs to be done. I do appreciate COVID's ability to come in and flip that on its on its head literally within a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you think about the Center for Continuing Education and the way you brought all your six, you 651 courses, mm-hmm. that, did yeah. I hear that correct? It's an impressive amount of just a suite of offerings to manage in terms of each one of those being an individual product that some link together, some don't. Was that was that movement already in motion before COVID or is that a response that SAID has taken on because of the, the pandemic? No, that was already in motion. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, uh, a range of studies and research went into determining whether this new uh, model of putting online, uh, sorry, putting um, uh, continuing education courses together would be the appropriate way to do that in, in that centralized form. Uh, and for a variety of reasons, that was determined to be the model. And then it also meant all of the uh, courses and programs that are designed to deliver an income stream where within a single division within SAIT and then leverage a variety of support from other parts of SAIT rather than having to reproduce and often duplicate in each of the schools. Uh, so it's ways of trying to build efficiencies internally, but at the same time focus on the delivery, especially on the quality of the delivery and the range of delivery options to to the broader uh, Calgary public. So I appreciate on 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 a couple sides of the coin. One, it was also a business decision to be able to create a more efficient model that ultimately you're not spending the same cost in eight different centers because you're delivering and you need some overlap. So I do appreciate that. And it's so easy to forget, and I don't want to sound ignorant saying this, that it's still a business. It still has to function and be financially viable yeah. to be present in our in our in our environment. Yeah. I think it's so easy in Canada. We're so fortunate that education is there and it's so accessible to us. It may be easy to forget sometimes that it still has to be a viable business for it to still be there. You're absolutely right. And I think that the viability, you know, clearly there's a primary focus. We want to deliver the best education experience because if we don't do that, ultimately there's a loss to the Canadian economy. There's a loss to society. But built within that primary reason for existing uh, has to be how do we make this work from a cost efficiency perspective, cost effectiveness perspective, but also, and you build around that, the ability to deliver the best uh, experience for the learner, right? 
And this is where, you know, you kind of work on the basis that we're focusing on continuing education. The support structures that exist in other parts of state will also support you. So again, you reduce that level of, of duplication. While simultaneously improving the customer experience, which is an ultimately a win, right? Absolutely, yeah. Versus, you know, the old cost-cutting model usually sacrificed the customer experience somewhere where that's non-negotiable these yeah. days as we live in a highly customer-centric world. Yeah. And, and, and for us at Sage, you know, if we think about it, we can get content from anywhere. You know, just Google stuff and you can get hundreds of courses on something, whether it's through YouTube or whether it's to some of the MOOCs that are out there, or, you know. So why, why, what is different about SAIT and why would somebody come to SAIT? And it's that learning experience, that customer experience that ultimately makes the, makes the, the learner decide where they're going to put their dollars and where they're going to put their hours. And if we, if we can make that key to how we deliver things, that's, that's the ultimate winner there. Well, you've got an interesting suite of competitors now where I'm assuming, quote unquote, in the old days, whatever, whenever that is, whatever that even means anymore, your competitors were other schools where now your competitors are Google, Facebook, Amazon, te- offering courses for free with Coursera. Like there's a barrage of learning platforms that I get targeted as someone who is a professional, but also a hobby learner. Mm-hmm. Once you st- the world know you like courses, you get targeted nonstop. Absolutely. <laughs> for courses. Absolutely. But here's the interesting thing, Tyler. You know, I think there's a growing realization that in the public post-secondary field in Alberta, we do need to come together. And we see some of that emerging even in Calgary. So, you know, for example, the continuing education schools in all of the different universities and colleges have all come together into what is called the Continuing Education Leadership Forum. And we look to find ways to collaborate, uh, share content. We're doing a lot of work together in the micro-credential area, for example. One example of, you know, recognizing that, you know what, well, yeah, sure, we may be seen as competitors. The collaborative requirements in the context of providing the best learning experience has to be a shared one. Uh, And and so in Calgary, for example, fairly, uh, you know, a few, probably a few weeks ago now, uh, you know, a group of post-secondary institutions came together with an understanding that what can we do together to help the digital processes, the, the digitization of the world of work and what kind of courses and programs can be set up that won't necessarily compete with each other and how can we integrate some of what we do. So I think, you know, we're starting to see that greater emphasis placed on how can we work together? How can we work with industry? How can we work with the, 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 the labor groups? How can we work with uh, the, the policymakers, the government, the city of Calgary? And to look at building out based on the Calgary Economic Plan and based on what we're seeing from a trend perspective, the courses and programs that will best develop the skill set that we need. I could ju- it's almost staggering for me to think, listening to you talk about just the sheer number of stakeholders that need to be involved. And you know, I don't know about you, but my crystal wall sometimes is not that it's not perfect. It's it's far it's far from it. I'm imagining it sitting on the side of my desk, completely foggy. <laughs> but you're, you know, you're thinking about. The, you have to create a, you have to identify the stakeholders, identify what they believe they need. You have to look farther out globally and also in our future as a province of where we are headed two, three, four, five years, 10 years. So, and then you have to develop a course, which takes X amount of months to create, get it in market, get people to take mm-hmm. it, and then have that intersect perfectly with what the market needs at the time. So I'm, I'm discouraging myself even talking about the process of, you know, the, the, the challenges of getting buy-in and then having other schools 
providing a unified experience so that technically the student could move from organization to organization and scale their way through a new career and build up a complete transfer of skills. That's a that's not an easy task. It's absolutely not an easy task. But what you've described is one of the key innovations that's actually required right now. Because what you've described is the ability for learner pathways to be created, not only within an institution, but between institutions, right? You know, and you, you do get some um, where, you know, you, you have in certain courses the ability for learners to say, yep, they've taken a course at the University of Calgary, and it is applicable in, yeah, say, or the other way around, for example. Right. But we, we need to have a much more robust policy environment that allows for that. Uh, because ultimately, you know, interestingly, the uh, uh, one of the more recent documents that came out, which was in uh, November of this year, was the Future Skills Council report. And this is a, a Canada-wide uh, council that has been set up by the federal government. And one of the things they looked at is how, you know, as a, as a priority, they've identified five priorities. One of the priorities was to, uh, to kind of look at how they can help Canadians make informed choices, right? And the understanding is that if you provide a range of equal opportunities in the lifelong learning context, we want the learners to make those choices, to look at what they need from their careers, talk to their employers, uh, talk to uh, understand the business environment, and look at what are the kind of skill set they would need. And then be able to stack those, being able to create those pathways for themselves. But if you don't have the right information, you don't have a sense of, if I do this course, what kind of career will it lead me to? And so the career development side becomes a key part of that uh, set of priorities that they identify. Um, you know, it, 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 it just points to the ability to have this integrated approach rather than being fragmented. Uh, and hence, what is difficult to do, and, you know, we've got to overcome perceived and real competitiveness between institutions. Uh, if there's enough of, enough of an understanding of the value as an integrated approach, what value that could offer to the learner, then I think we can overcome anything. Uh, sure, it's not going to be easy. You know, there'll be challenges. But, but the, the pressure, as well as the willingness to do it, I think will get us there. I, I appreciate that optimism because it's also, you know, I don't want to sound negative. We don't have a choice. Like, you know, we, there's only one way forward is through. <laughs> it's, through it's not a can't go around. Interesting. When I hear you talk and I think about the, con- the conventional, I'm going to go back a few years when I was in school and it's like, pick a path, pick a career, pick a, you know, I think we all know that that world has changed and there might be some, some areas that are obviously very relevant. But when I think about it in the words you said that I read the micro credentials concept, and if I think of myself as an individual that's in an industry and that industry's changed, it's disrupted, obviously technology is playing a bigger role. I need to now have my ability to almost pick and design my own course curriculum to your point of being able to, well, I need this because it's going to get me to here. I'm going to need that. So you think about the world of, you know, pick a path, get a degree, do the thing where now it's like, you know, pick a, pick an area, learn what you need to do to excel in that area, then go learn more to adapt as that area gets disrupted or changed around you. That's such a shift to the individual now not making one decision, but having to make a streamline of decisions through the course of a, like a multi-year, you know, career evolution. That's such a huge change to when it, where it even was t- five, 10 years ago, or am I, am I, am I oversimplifying one and overcomplicating the other? Well, no, you're not. And, and, and you're right. It, it, it is a change. And, you know, it's not something as of, as of today, you know, learners are going to be completely on their own. You know, there's a process, but it's also an empowerment process in relation to learners understanding what they require by virtue of them being in the world of work, 
or, or starting at different, at different starting points, but starting in the world of work or wanting to pivot or having been unemployed and knowing that the particular industry is not good anymore, you need to go to a different industry. Based on a current mm-hmm. skill set in the industry that's not good and that's losing jobs, what are the other industries that allow you to pivot to where you can get, where you can take a few courses and get into those other industries? So all of right. those require support to that, you know, whether it's support uh, from a, a kind of province-wide, uh, whether it's support from a career advice within the institution across uh, Calgary, uh, whether it's around work placements and where things are, are happening in terms of where there's career or job opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the funding for the learners? What's the funding for the institutions? Um, you know, I talked about changes to policy in terms of the idea of create, allowing for these learner pathways, removing barriers, allowing you to stack your credentials in, in a variety of ways. Uh, and then the integration that we spoke about earlier on, you know, how do we make sure that post-school institution, uh, the colleges, universities can work together in creating the, the movement between such institutions? You know, I remember there was talk of uh, um, a kind of Uber university model you know, where no matter where you are, you can choose courses from any university. And by virtue of being able to verify those um, credentials, uh, the kind of assessment that was done uh, within those credentials and being able to validate that. And then there was talk of using all of that and using a blockchain platform as a validation as a platform. It, you know, allowed you to take a variety of Courses, and then you can go to a particular university or college and say, I've taken most of my courses here. I've got a range of courses from other uh, uh, institutions. Can you validate it and can you give me the, the certificate or the degree? Yeah. And so conceptually, you're shifting away from, I must go to one place only and take courses only in one place. So those are some of the kind of uh, barriers and challenges that we have and barriers that we still need to overcome. But, but, but I believe we'll get there. A, it's it's kind of being forced upon us, but B, I think the, with the way technology is disrupting learning and supporting learning, it allows us to do these things more easily because we can validate more easily, because we can assess differently where we don't have to have everybody come to an exam room, for example. So all those things are lending itself to this greater student control, if you want, or responsibility for their own. It's so interesting that just the concept of the credentials wallet and the individual owning that mm-hmm. and being able to go and kind of almost assemble this profile that's 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 validated through blockchain, which is an interesting I'll go down that like that's an interesting road when you talk about what's possible now with that third party beyond reproach validation, you know, irrebutable and all those things that you're like you said, the technology starts to set up so many of these other changes to actually be viable because without the technology, it doesn't really work. But in your experience, and maybe I'm asking you to share some dirty laundry here, uh, is there resistance to change in the post-secondary world? Because these are schools and organizations that have spent a lot of time and energy on their brands. I have my degree from, I went to X, I'm in the alumni for such and such. And I, hey, I'm a brand guy. I really value and I appreciate that. But it feels like that's that that could be potentially under attack or is that maybe a short-term phenomenon from your well, perspective? You, you're absolutely right. You know, And if you think about any any process of change, you know, there's tons written on change management. You know, right. Not only is it in the corporate sector. It's, not, it's hard. <laughs> you know, so anywhere where you have an institutional form, Issues of change uh, and how do you manage those change? Uh, that that change becomes a key part of uh, of what gets 
done in an institution. So, so without a doubt, you know, I, I think a lot of it is leadership. And again, you know, it's an obvious statement to make. Uh, if your leadership understands the need for change and is supportive of that and actually leads it, then, then you've got a, a winning formula already built in. If you've then got clarity around, so what is this change that you're driving towards? What is the time frame? You know, and I always think about the state's current five-year strategy that started in 2020 this year. You know, although set up in pre-COVID, interestingly, when COVID hit, you know, and, and, and this was launched, a lot of the strategy that was mapped out, in a sense, would perfectly address the kind of constraints and challenges that COVID. And a key part of that, Tala was really built around uh, lifelong learning and the understanding that, you know, it's no more just that learner who's coming in immediately after school, spending two, three, four years, and it's gone. That learner will come back and come back and come back. And there's other learners who we want to bring in for all the reasons that I mentioned earlier on, around career, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How do you bring them in? And, and there's now a notion of a 60-year curriculum, you know, the old, the old model is you did some studying, you went to work, and you retired. Now you did some studying in what is called the foundational piece. It allows you to then work and study, work and study, work and study, all the way to retirement. And even during your early phase of retirement, there's still opportunities to learn. Right? Uh, and, and, and the way all of that work and learn gets structured is really around what is best for the learner in terms of convenient for them. How do we offer, what is the platforms to offer the learning? Face-to-face, blended, online. Right? And within that, there's variations of how you do that. So I think all of that becomes a key part of, of uh, just this whole change. And the fact that there may be resistance, but ultimately the requirements for the change are going to be so great that if we don't change, we're going to find less and less people would be learners coming to your institution going to the Googles or going to the Amazons. Absolutely. Well, you're either part of disruption or you get disrupted, right? There's this kind of one or the other. It's either you do it to yourself or it gets done to you. It tends to be a little less painful than the other. But interesting, I hear what you talk about the business model and I think the concept of, of you know, the alumni, stu- the, it, it's such a more powerful business model because now you've got this student who's going to be engaging with you like as a partnership for the rest of your life, for the rest of their active life. So rather than you know working hard to get that customer in for three four years with the guarantee that at the end of three four years they leave and you have to get a new customer just back to the business model, it's a much more exciting long term relationship in terms of like with the with the introduction of emerging and advanced technology you're going to know exactly even how that individual learns eventually and eventually I'm now I'm way out getting the blue sky the course will be actually tailored to their learning their learning style and their past preferences because you've now learned about them from a relationship perspective that. The curriculum and even the way they learn could be customized. So I'm going way out and like just seeing the future, but that that sounds pretty exciting as a value to the students. And, and, and it's the not way out, you know. And that's the exciting part. <laughs> I, I'm not too far. Am I not too far, you know. And and for me, what's what's exciting about that is you know, as things like artificial intelligence start to get uh, you know get improved, as we build out the right algorithms for artificial intelligence. We can then do exactly what you're saying. We can track a learner. We can understand when they provide us feedback, for example. We can start to understand, well, this learner said, you know, he wasn't or she wasn't happy with uh, that kind of online learning. So we can start to immediately figure out a way in which what is their preference. Then we can get some feedback based on their, their assessment scores, for example. 
that starts to point to different ways. Then feedback from the instructors themselves. So all of that starts to provide you with data that you can start to figure out how to develop for each individual learner what their preferences are. And on the basis of that, you're right. Then you can offer them very specific kinds of things going forward. Now, we see that already emerging when you talk to the retail sector. You know, if yes. you go online shopping, I mean, you know, sometimes you're just talking about stuff and it immediately starts popping up on your uh, Google searches and the like, you know, certain kinds of things that you were wanting. Right? You know, so there's ways in which we can incorporate those kinds of uh, artificial learning approaches in the education sector. And, and it's being done already. Well, and I'm certainly re- hearing some trends. I was reading a Gardner report recently about, you know, the movement from personalization to like, okay, if you know me too well, it's actually creepy. But if you know me in a way that actually helps me, I'm going to be like four times more interested in engaging with you than, you know, the example of, you know, helping me to facilitate a process or a challenge I'm having in my life versus sending me a happy birthday because you're tracking my birthday. Very different level of personalization. Yeah. But the need for customers to engage with you that you feel like that all that data you have on them actually is being used to make their life better. And in education, that makes the value proposition for that seems like you can see it's pretty easy to see it of how quickly that because we all learn differently. But yet the old quote unquote school model kind of put everybody into the same type of learning environment. And I think that's powerful. Right and, there. And, and unfortunately, you know, we've got the disconnect at the school level. We still have that. You know, everybody's in a classroom content. As in some ways, and, and one can understand when you're setting up systems, you want to set up systems that make it almost impossible to individualize at the school level, given the numbers. Uh, but, in, but, you know, we are starting to find ways even in that context. But I think at the post-secondary level, the ability to do that, and even though there are still large numbers and you want to increase those numbers because you want a learning society, uh, you want to increase the numbers that come to your institution, but you can still start to individualize learning to, to a larger extent. Uh, than what was previously, even in the previous maybe five to eight years. Well, you're thinking about those 651 courses that that just SAID offers, let alone all the other, uh, you know, complementary organizations that offer different, you know, competitor complements. As a consumer, you're not a competitor to me. You're just another option to learn. And I think it's important to understand the difference. As a consumer, I just want it to be, I want it to work for me. I don't don't care that you guys compete. (laughs) But when you think about that and how they intertwine to create a path and the role technology can play with continuing education, it almost feels like it's more ripe for that level of implementation versus maybe a traditional, like I go to high school, then I go to school and I get my degree. That feels like it's already been, there's an ordained path there that I know will change. But with continuing education, it feels a little more a la carte right out of the gate or the potential for that. And, and, and it is, it is much more a la carte. Um, you know, e- even within that a la carte though, one of the things we said is 651 is a great number, but what's the quality of each of those courses? Sure. And in the way those courses have been structured and put together, does it make, does it give the learner an understanding of what this course is about? So, so I think there's, there's a quality side of it that we need to look at. The other side of it is, so how are all of those courses delivered? And are those delivery mechanisms the best? So for example, a lot, a lot more would have been done face-to-face. Can we pivot some of those to online? And some of those remain face-to-face and others offer some kind of blend. You know, in, in the school system and now even at university level, they talk about the flipped classroom, the ability to instead of teaching during your lecture time, can you provide a a much more tutorial engagement approach and give the lessons to the the students to say, yeah, 
you know, go and read it up before that rather than me lecturing it to you. And let's have a conversation. That's some, you know. So similarly, in, in the college sector, can we do to a lot of that? Yes. Can we make sure that the application side is done when you come to a classroom and the actual learning of the theory, so to speak, is done on your own, right? You know, so we're starting to find ways in which we can offer the approach that says a blended model can work very well in a context of a college where you want to have applied learning. What we're also finding just on that score is that, you know, there's now platforms where you can set up scenarios, simulations, uh, modeling that allows you to say, you know, you've got a cohort of, let's say, 10 in your class. You can go into a simulation and you can actually do things in real time that allow you to imagine that you're, uh, you know, facing a crisis and how do you manage a process to address a crisis? How do you manage the communications in a crisis, if you're doing a communications course, for example. And you can set it all up, and you can set it up in a way that says, you know, so you're doing that there, and then you get a message that says, you know, there's a second, you know, let's assume there's a crisis and there's a terrorist bombing in your city, and you're the communications for the mayor of Calgary. What do you do, right? You know, you can set it up in a way that says, you know, you're working together in class, 10 minutes later, you get another social media uh, a note that says, this is what's happening now. How do you change? How do you pivot? How do you apply what you've learned? You know, in that kind of real simulation model. And if you layer on top of that, uh, you know, ways in which you can use uh, virtual reality, mixed reality uh, to enable you to get to uh, simulate and get to kind of play around if you want uh, with that applied learning notion. So there's all of those kinds of things that's starting to say, you know, you don't have to be in classroom only. That's so powerful. And are you seeing that uh, with emerging technologies like virtual reality, augmented reality? Is, are those types of environments also facilitating this? And it feels just so much more like real world. Like you actually get to do the always the, like, well, that's theory and that's what happens in the real world. Where those, like what define real world anymore? Like that feels like those technologies. Are you seeing those technologies really starting to catch, take hold in your environment? They certainly are. Look, um, virtual reality has been around for some time. You know, it's it's had a lot of promise. I think what's changed now is a the demand for that kind of applied learning in an online environment is taking off in a much better way. Okay. And a bandwidth now, which allows you to to use those kinds of uh, technologies in terms of virtual reality, mixed reality. The devices are cheaper. Although some devices, some of the lenses can still be pretty expensive, but we can start to get away with that uh, in terms of, of the, the cost to a learner. Uh, so those are some of the things that are, that are enabling better use of uh, virtual reality and, 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 and the kind of simulation approach. Access, accessibility and barriers coming down as cost comes down, which is the standard of all, of, of all technologies. Yeah. So from a state perspective, when you look at, you know, bringing in new customers or bringing in new students and customers are using my, using my commercial lens, but you're bringing in new students and continuing education learners. Are you focusing primarily in the Alberta market, Western Canada, when you think of overall the role SAIT plays, I feel like SAIT is so much a part of our ecosystem here in Alberta. But when you think about abroad and immigration and bringing in talented people from around the world who might need to reskill and tool, is that a big, is that part of your strategy and part of where you look at the role you can play? It, it certainly is. You know, we we very much, and in fact, the way in which it's described uh, in our uh, three year is that you know we're very much part of Calgary, 
but we recognize that we have an international agreement as well. You know, so we talk about our roots being in Calgary, but we talk about the fact that we are ambitious enough that we are, and our mission is global, uh, and we want to bring the idea of bringing you know different parts of the world to SATE and making sure that SATE is part of those worlds, and in the same way, helping Calgary to become more international whether it's by virtue of bringing folks into the, into Calgary uh, as in, in the context of, of immigrants. And we know how important that is from a, from a demographic perspective and from a skills perspective. Uh, but we also want to make sure that Calgarians have a global perspective, they have a global understanding of what is happening. And, and for that reason, SAIT has very deliberately made sure that the way its current strategy is mapped out is we recognize that we are we rooted in Calgary. We have a global ambition. And when we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that we uh, essentially reach out uh, to students in different parts of the world, it's much more difficult during this time. But even during this time, there were various attempts made to make sure students can register, can study online for a, point, for a period of time, and then find ways to get them over here you know, with the necessary 14-day um, self-isolation and all of that built in. And work very closely with the federal government and the provincial government to make sure that all of the necessary uh, health precautions are complied with. I appreciate that. What percentage of, do you, and if you don't know if Anna put you on the spot, what percentage of your students would be international students? That I'm not sure. Uh, simply because a lot of those international students are registered for formal, uh, uh, formal degree or, or diploma courses. Yeah, I assume that that was maybe the case. Continuing education space. So yeah, a lot of so what you focus the continuing education is very much focused on Alberta and, and the market here and kind of what we need. How close do you guys partner? I'm assuming that you must be having meetings constantly with local businesses of all different sizes and enterprise. Like you must you must have a significant amount of focus groups and people to tap into as they're trying to figure out what the intersect of the future and talent look like. Absolutely, you know everybody from state's president Dr. Ross having a range of industry councils and, and industry liaison groups that he works with. Each school has their own industry council based on that particular industry. Um, what we've opted to do in the continuing education space is not set up yet another uh, industry group, but rather we work closely with the schools and engage with industry groups through the schools and, and their industry councils. Uh, and through that process, get to understand what their needs are. Apart from what their needs are, but also what are the kind of delivery modes that seem to work. Um, about a week ago, so maybe two weeks ago now, we had a, a meeting with a range of, uh, of industry reps from the automotive and manufacturing industries. You know, one of the key things that came out from that conversation is, we, you know, we want the notion of just-in-time learning. We want our learners to be able to know that, okay, we need this. Can we send a couple of them for this short kind of course, which lends itself brilliantly to the micro-credential model. Yes. So, so we're finding that we're getting that feedback, that kind of data or intelligence, if you want, from those councils. And based on that and based on our work with the schools, figuring out exactly what type of courses are important. A lot of these courses are emerging now, uh, Tyler, as what we may describe as cross-curricular. So it's not just in the automotive industry. You know, With the kind of automation and digitization, that's happening everywhere, quite frankly. Yes. You know, just learning to... Fix a car in the old-fashioned way is not good anymore. You know, you're gonna have to understand uh, using computers to do that, uh, finding different ways to uh, develop uh, uh, 
understand the digital platforms that are now emerging in those industries uh, and, and how one makes sure that the skills that the learner has is able to effectively manage and, 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 and handle and, and use those kinds of platforms in any particular industry right now. It, it feels like, you know, again, I'm just going to make a statement. It might be wrong. It might be right. I feel like we're becoming so much more specialized in what we do. But at the same time, I feel that there is this just base level of learning that needs to be re- like of, of literacy around what is automation? What is machine learning? What is robotics? What is like, I don't have to be a robotics expert, but it feels like to be successful in the future world that we live in, there's a, just a level of base understanding. It's almost like we kind of re-lead, like the basics have changed and now the basics are at this level. And I consider in school, I, you know, I learned about ACDC circuits and I learned about the basics, but that doesn't get you through anymore. You can't fix your car with that mindset anymore. You've got to now understand that's that next level, which almost feels like back to like everyone's a learner. We all need to ladder up because somehow it's going to impact our lives no matter what field of work we are in. You're absolutely right. And, and, and there's three things what you say. One is the basics are changing, right? Uh, you know, uh, the folks talked about reading, writing, and basic maths. You know, and now we're talking about digital literacy and other things added to that. So that's at the one level. The second level then you layer on that basics is your kind of what people would call either soft skills, 21st century skills, people skills, that whole area around communication, working collaboratively, uh, finding information, doing the analysis. Uh, so, so that's that's the, 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 the kind of second layer. And then the, the, the next is, is, is the point that you make is that, so how do we make sure we learn how to learn? Because if we, if we, as part of the basics, as part of the 21st century skills, a key part of that is learning how to learn so that we can continue our learning, whether it's in an informal way on the job, whether it's formally taking a course through SAIT, for example, or whether it's another degree or diploma, for example. But it's about learning how to learn in ways that meet your need. I recently was having a conversation with a friend about meta skills and kind of how important those are as foundations. So from your perspective, are you guys putting together courses? Because again, and this is, again, I'm being ignorant. When I think of SAID, I think more technical, like I'm going to learn hard skills about a thing. But what you talk about is the learning how to learn. And I think that's really important because there's always been the old like, oh, geez, you know, I've been out of school for 10 years. Like I'm rusty. And that's a real thing. Like it's a different, it's a different set of muscles in your brain. So when, for say, do you provide that type of, I could go into just like a primer on how to learn before I start down my path of learning <laughs> to almost get ready, like boot camp. <laughs> well, they, they support. They support in terms of helping you. Uh, you know, you, you talked about the, the muscle memory, but it's, it's helping you kind of also understand very practical things. Like you know, if you're embarking on this course, uh, you know, you, you need to find a way to find a space in your home where you can focus on it. You need to create time. So it's those practical kind of things that help you. Uh, secondly, is about then how do you use different platforms and how do you use, you know, coming to say working in an online environment or studying in an online environment, how do you use those kinds of platforms? And this third party, so what other SAIT uh, support systems are there to help you, hmm. whether it's in the library, whether it's in terms of your emotional well-being, et cetera. You know, so all of that is available from a SAIT perspective to help you to get back into the learning mode. But an important part of that is even in, you know, no matter where you're studying, we, we do try to capture uh, as part of that particular course, the 21st century skills. So even within learning a hard technical skill, uh, we do want to make sure there's an incorporation of 
How do you work collaboratively? How do you present ideas and present yourself in terms of communications, uh, in terms of, of, of engaging with other materials and resources as part of that learning how to learn approach? So there is that those things that are built into many of the courses as well. Which makes a lot of sense. And there's certainly no shortage of articles or, you know, forward-facing statements that propose with computers and technology handling a lot more of the analytical tasks that actually leave space for the softer side of human interaction, which again, some of my engineering friends would look at me and laugh, like, we don't need any of that. We're just going to focus, you know, our formulas will set us free. And sorry, I'm bugging I'm <laughs> a couple of my engineers. But I was talking to a gentleman who runs a large engineering firm, and he, and he said that he spoke to his staff a few years ago and said, kind of walked in, and like 30% of what you do now will eventually be automated. So mm-hmm. what what can we fill up that 30% of time with? And he said that there was, it was a big kind of like mic moment drop for him and the company, but that's when they started looking at the role that AI could play with all the data. And they were a large engineering firm, so they had tons of data, no idea how to use it, but enough to know as a leader that the future will be different. I need to get going. And he just talked about the, you know, he even said, he goes, I think if you're in engineering, you should spend a year understanding the arts, understanding philosophy, because it's going to make you a better engineer, because that's not necessarily a popular concept in in (laughs) mixed company. But I I did appreciate where he was coming from with the idea. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. And and that's a good appreciation to have because, you know, you know, there's all this, this whole uh, kind of notion of, you know, you can strike your deals on the golf course. You know, having played golf periodically, you know, I think it's quite difficult. But what you're doing is you're building relationships. Yes, uh, yes. What, what what's actually happening? Is it the golf, or is it the human to human shared shared experiences go a long way for humans? Exactly right. You know, get to understand a little bit better about who you're dealing with, and then you know, then that process of allowing you to then engage in business ways and build up some deals of whatever sort uh, become real. So, so, so I think that's exactly the point, right? You know, in engineering, but the key part of that is engaging with customers and clients and your, your kind of fellow engineers and, and other workers, right? And do, do you have the skill set to do that? Because nowadays you can be a brilliant engineer, but if you've got really lousy, uh, you know, human humans, uh, uh, skills, uh, you know, you're not going to get very far most times. You know? No, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, I think you're... <laughs> When you talk about back to the learning experience, those are some of the things that I think will can or certainly have the ability to help, you know, schools like SAID or schools that decide to, you know, how do we differentiate in that area? It's creating the whole learner, the whole student, the whole person, rather than just I can go online and take a technical skill, but it doesn't mean I know how to communicate that effectively to a group of people to get my idea approved. And that's part of reality. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's and, and and for us at SAID is being as close to that reality, what do you experience in the workplace is the key part of the notion of applied learning for us. And that's why we try and draw many of our uh, adjuncts uh, from industry, uh, instructors. Uh, many of our current faculty members have come from industry now. Then you know, one has to make sure that there's training provided to help them to become better instructors. And the fact that their base of knowledge is there uh, and is from an industry is 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 a big big plus factor for us. Mm-hmm. Make sure that there's ways in which the current faculty, of course, keep abreast of what is happening in those industries. And so it's a two way street. It's not just about you know the, the sage itself being uh, knowing everything, but it's all we need to go and learn as well. So when you think of, again, all in the middle, there is this, e- this this ethos of an experience, but you've got a student on one side, you've got the industry over here, you've got the instructors and the people that are facilitating, you've got the school trying to make sure that we're setting everybody up for success in a, in a 
and strong learning environment. And then you've got new technology disrupting everything. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like you never have a dull day, sir. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I can certainly say in the seven months that I've been here, it's been an amazing experience. And and in some ways, you know, I, I sent a note to some colleagues to say thank you for you know support over the past seven months. And I wrote there, you know, it's been a blast. And it actually has been, you know, uh, dull, no. Even <laughs> from afar, uh, you know, I, I spent some of the months before arriving to Cal- in Calgary uh, working off out of Vancouver. Uh, you know, even in this kind of context, it's still been exciting. We can still see things happening. We're making things happen. Uh, you know, we're doing exciting things around identifying different ways to do uh, assessments, for example, of competencies. Uh, you know, we're looking at uh, an online strategy at SAIT right now to make sure it's much more robust and, and captures the essence of what SAIT is. Uh, you know, so there's a whole host of things that are starting to happen now, which I think uh, is great. Uh, and, you know, and so, yeah, absolutely never a dull day. Yeah, that's exciting to go into 2021 with that mindset. I appreciate that. Just curious, you, obviously, you partner very closely with industry, especially being in, in the continuing education for yourself, what's the, you know, I guess, sentiment that you're, that you're getting from different industries here in town? Is, is there a degree of optimism? And now I'm, I'm going to ask you to step outside your lane a little bit, but you probably have a very unique perspective because you're, you're, you get to engage at this level with multiple different sectors and industries. Again, thoughts in terms of your perspective, this is, well, this will be aired in the, in January of 2020. We're doing this at the end of 2020. So it's the perfect yeah. time. The look back and the look ahead, uh, the podcast, any thoughts on what you see for Calgary in terms of the next couple of years? Sure. Well, um, you know, just again, from reflecting and, and being part of certain conversations, uh, there's certainly a sense in which, you know, certain industries are, are in difficulty. And, and, and it's, you know, not, not uh, a top secret on that. You know, we know oil and gas and, and associated areas. We also know that the, uh, the uh, province is putting and making investments in certain key areas as well. And, and that's an important part of that mix of creating some optimism. We understand Calgary has also got a focus with respect to the Calgary Economic Plan. And so that, again, offers a range of optimism around what as the city is starting to focus on. And certainly what I'm seeing, and, you know, and I consider myself still as an outsider, uh, I still need to spend more time in Calgary and get to meet more folks. And that's a key part of what I will do uh, or continue to do. But what I'm seeing is there's certainly an emerging optimism in areas where, you know, and we're starting to see some of the, some of the bigger announcements in the news with the certain uh, uh, IT companies getting massive investments uh, and new companies emerging, et cetera. So, and that's what you see. But what I'm also noticing is the things that we're not seeing is a sense of, uh, you know, that the small industries and the startup industries are also still there. You know, Calgary has had, one of the larger investments in the startup industry amongst all of the Canadian cities. Uh, we're starting to see that, you know, and so we can see that happening in the in the IT and the IT application areas. I, I, I'm also keen to say, so what, what are the other areas that are not so much affected by the digitization processes and what is happening in those fields that we can start to say, here's the direction that seems to be going globally or even within Canada, yes, where investments are looking to be made, and what are the skill set required in those in those fields that we can start to say, yes, let's put some courses together because we can see a trend, right? And so for me, you know, it's 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 a sense of um, what I may broadly describe as a kind of real re- realism mixed with optimism, 
<laughs> I appreciate that blend. I try to live that formula as well. <laughs> yeah. Now, optimism is always good, but re- reckless, you know, cautiously optimistic, however you want to say it. But I appreciate what you think about trends in other industries because let's be honest, anything digital or technology related is the shiny, it's the shiny, the shiny toy right now. And yes. it's a fire tool. I don't want to minimize it by calling that, but it certainly gets a lot more attention. But we still live in a world of physical goods. We still live in a world of humans that interact with other humans and and you know, you know, hotels we need to stay in, restaurants we need to eat at, stores we need to buy physical things at. It's <laughs> good to not forget that there's other elements of our of, of who we are and how we function as humans that will be there for a long time until we can just absorb everything mentally and and you know sit in a bubble but I, I think we're a ways off before that before that happens and Calgary has been very good over the years at physical things and I love to see how we're advancing around the blend of both and I think that that's really good to look at it uh, this I really appreciate your time, your energy, one, your candor. You know, I, I, I'm guilty. I love a good old fashioned chat where we can just talk about things. And this is, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of conversations with leaders and innovators in this space because I think it's so critical to the economic transformation. And I love your concept of the, the 60, the 60 year curriculum. And you left me with some ideas that one just resonate with me as, as, as always learning, but that combination of learning as a hobby and, and keeping your brain alive versus actually like, no, 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 I need to advance. I need to change because I have to, or I want to, but those blends on how that's going to become an absolute little, that's an essential life skill, I think, for all of us going forward, no matter where we are in our careers or our journeys. No, you're absolutely right. I want to correct one thing first. The 60-year curriculum is not my idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, quoting from, from somebody else uh, from a group called Evolution, uh, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, they came out with this idea, which resonated strongly with what we're doing. Uh, I, yeah, it was definitely, out of all the things I heard today, I was like, hmm, I, li- I like that. <laughs> Good concept, and you yeah. don't even have to have it explained to you. You can you almost build your own ideas behind it when you hear it, which I exactly. Certainly- I, I, that's why when I heard, I thought a wonderful way to describe this. You know? Yeah, it just immediately like it just to me it just immediately speaks to possibility, and it speaks to the fact of we need to have that flexible and infinite mindset versus you know fixed and finite, which is maybe you know quote unquote the old way, or certainly not a way that's going to serve us anymore in a world that changes literally from the time you look in the morning to the time you look at night. It's changed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's what's the best way to like to reach out or get a hold of you or have a conversation. Obviously, they can go to SAID online, but is there any way that uh, do you have a preferred mode for people to reach out to you? Well, absolutely. You know, one can reach out directly via my email, and I think uh, you know it's it's, uh, it's my first name V I S dot my last name Naidu N A I D O O at SAID.ca. and happy to engage further uh, with folks. Uh, you know, in anything that I've said and areas that folks feel may be useful in terms of new ideas for courses and programs and new kinds of skills, or even existing areas that require some tweaks and changes to the way in which skills are required and also how they can be delivered. And so happy to engage with that. I appreciate that. And I, I absolutely appreciate the role. I think Sate has always played in our, you know, and if you look back and I've read a little bit of Sate's history, Sate's always been there to help during these times of transition. So yes. I think, Oh, and, you know, from the original, I think how SAID even came to be was during a time of transition post-World War II. Or was it World War I or World War II? I can't World War I, I think. World War I, even, even, even farther back to just how do we retool this workforce to be able to do what we need. So I think you guys have been doing it for a long time and i a uh, big advocate of the work that you do in the city. So thanks so much for your time today. I really, really appreciated it. No, it's a real pleasure and, and, and thank you. And I enjoyed this conversation and, uh, you know, playing with ideas and then playing with reality. <laughs> I like that. Playing with ideas and playing with reality. I'm, I'm in. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. Have a good one. Happy holidays. Too. 
Tschüss.